This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the Sunday of the Passion, Palm Sunday, March 28, 2021, offered at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Greensboro, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and chapter 15, verses 1 through 39, as well as Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes I think Palm Sunday slash Passion Sunday should just simply be called Whiplash Sunday. Each year we read of Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem and then come crashing into the Passion story. The cheers of Hosanna are replaced by the words crucify him. And it is certainly one of the most jarring worship liturgies in the Book of Common Prayer. The usual explanation for this juxtaposition of these two readings is that fewer people attend Holy Week services and therefore fewer people hear the Passion story on Good Friday. And because we know that this scenario matches the reality that we live in, that fewer people are coming to church, we are quick to accept this as the explanation for why we have these two scenes squished together. But, as most things are, it is more complicated than just that simple explanation. We have this combined observance of palm and passion because of the ecumenical work to recover the early church's understanding of what Lent was for. And the early church, before infant baptism became the norm, you tended to be an adult when you were baptized, and to be baptized took three years of preparation. You would be formed in theology and what discipleship looked like. You would be formed as part of the community. And that end of that catechumenate period would come capped off with this 40 days of special preparation and particularly this intensity of Holy Week that would prepare you to experience your death and rebirth through the waters of baptism at the Easter Vigil and the receiving of Holy Communion for the first time, which was reception fully into the community of the faithful. Now, we move by the medieval period to infant baptism being the norm, and adults made their affirmations of faith through services of confirmation made with bishops The formation time for people wanting to join the church gradually became slower, and the season of Lent during this period became much more about individual personal penitence and repentance and less about forming or reforming disciples of Jesus. And so, in the mid-20th century, as the ecumenical movement worked to reform the liturgical calendar and cycle of readings that we have on Sundays, they sought to regain what had been lost in the season of Lent, to hold together that it is a season of fasting and penitence, but it's also a season of formation and discipleship for Christians. 
And in this sort of new 20th century version of Lent, Holy Week once again became the very intense final week following in the footsteps of Jesus that prepares us for the joy of Easter, prepares us to renew our baptismal promises at the Easter vigil. It prepares us to welcome new members into the body of Christ. And so the dissonance that we experience on Palm slash Passion Sunday is intentional. It's not just an accommodation to declining church numbers. If you feel a bit of whiplash, then the liturgy is working. This is the Sunday that pulls us out of the mundaneness of our present time into the Kairos moment of Holy Week. It is a forceful invitation to walk and be shaped by the way of the cross. Interestingly enough, each Palm Sunday slash Passion Sunday, we always have this reading from Philippians. But the gospel readings for the Palm and the Passion change. They match whatever the gospel is for that year. So we're in year B, so we're reading the gospel of Mark. So we hear Mark's triumphal entry and Mark's passion on this Sunday. But the reading from Philippians always stays the same. And I think that's important because the reading from Philippians, most scholars agree, is older than any of the Gospels. There's a temptation to interpret what we hear in Philippians in light of what we hear in the Gospels, but there's real scholarly work that would say it should be the other way around. That the reading of Philippians is written by Paul probably somewhere in the year 50 to year 60, but it captures a hymn that's actually even older than that. One of the first hymns of the Christian community, one of the first statements of how the Christian community understood what it meant to have God incarnate in Jesus Christ and what Jesus' death on the cross meant. And so if we use Philippians to then look back into our stories of the Gospels because it is the older text, I think something interesting is revealed there. Right? Mark's story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem has all the familiar parts that we remember. Right, They have to go find a cult. They enter the city with all the crowds putting cloaks and leafy branches on the road. The crowds shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Many scholars interpret this moment in sort of different ways. One, Jesus is presented as the, the conquering hero Messiah entering Jerusalem. Some say that we could consider Jesus' entering procession into the city through one gate as juxtaposed against Pilate's entrance through another gate when Pilate would have come into the city of Jerusalem with his Roman army before the Passover festival. Other scholars say Jesus' procession probably wasn't as big as we like to think it was, and so maybe it was a bit of political theater or protest, right? But when we read Mark's triumphant entry and his description of what would happen in the last week of Jerusalem, it becomes clear that what's going on here isn't just theater. Jesus isn't just play acting. The authorities and Jesus are taking this moment very, very seriously. 
Jesus may not have been a conquering hero, but he enters the city of Jerusalem very much with the power to control the crowds. And we know that because in the last week of his life, the narrator in the Gospel of Mark is going to tell us four times that what keeps Jesus safe in that moment is that the chief priest and the scribes wanted, um, were afraid of the crowds and the mob. They were afraid that they, if he, they arrested Jesus, that there would be a riot during the festival. And so the authorities wait. It is only after Jesus is betrayed by Judas that the authorities can seize him outside of the city, away from the crowds that they are so afraid of. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem shows us that Jesus not only had the divine power to cast out demons and to heal the sick, but had a whole lot of earthly power at his disposal as well. He could send a demon out of a person, but he could also let the mob loose in Jerusalem. But he doesn't. In the last week of his life, when he could have set the whole city upside down with his followers, he empties himself of that earthly authority and power. We experience this, this emptying of earthly power, when we see Jesus stand silent before Pilate. When Pilate says, you know, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you say I am, and then he says nothing else. He stands silent as the soldiers mock him, saying, hail, king of the Jews. We see the emptying of not just his earthly power, but his divine power when the onlookers that come by the cross look up and say, he saved others, let him save himself. If he were to come down off that cross right now, then I would believe that he was the Messiah. Philippians puts that story together in this beautiful hymn that we get. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Being born in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians makes it clear that we need the triumphant entry next to the crucifixion to understand that what is going on is about power. It's about God's power and it's about earthly power. We need the whiplash of palms and passion to experience this, to see what Jesus is actually letting go of when he goes to the cross. We have to hold these two tensions together, the celebratory entrance with the tragic death, to understand what it means to follow the way of the cross. Maybe if for the sake of alliteration, we wanted to name this Sunday more accurately, taking into consideration the hymn from Philippians, we should call it Palms, Passion, and Power Sunday, because that is what our texts are pointing us to. And I think it's important that we remember that this hymn from the early Christian church gives us perhaps the hardest challenge as disciples of Christ. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. See, as long as we keep the focus on the part of Jesus' self-emptying, on his equality with God, his divine power, what he managed to do up on the cross, 
that let the same mind be in you business stays at a really safe, comfortable distance, right? We can spiritualize it. We can make it something that's just confined to Holy Week. It becomes comfortable and easy because surely we're not going to be crucified like Christ was. But once we follow it through and realize that being humble and obedient part and realize that this being of the same mind as Jesus means giving away our earthly power, then it gets a lot harder. It suddenly comes back down off the cross into the realm of things that we actually can do. I think it's really hard to wrestle with this call to empty ourselves of our power. But I think it is also what Holy Week is about. This focus on being in the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. We are challenged to shift our focus from the emptying out of what we have, the loss that we might experience, to the filling up that comes with it. When we shift our focus to that, we begin to focus on the transformation that can come to the world, the lifting up that can come to the world, and can finally let go of the anxiety or fear that might be there at the notion that we're giving up something that belongs to us. Jesus doesn't empty himself for the sake of suffering. He doesn't go to the cross for the sake of suffering. He goes there for the sake of transformation of the world. He empties himself of both his divine and earthly power so that death could be transformed into resurrection, that humanity could ascend to God, and that the Spirit of God could be poured out onto the world. Jesus pours out his power so that the disciples could be transformed and filled up and lifted up. He pours out his power recognizing that it is the power of the world that turns the crowd's chants from Hosanna to crucify him. But it is the power and transformative love of God and Christ that leads him to in his breathing his last and giving up all his power earthly and divine that turns the words of violence and disbelief that are heard at the foot of the cross into the words of the centurion. Truly, this man was God's son. Amen.